Yeah, I definitely want to try and get Pinocchio under my belt. Got wood. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I'm sure you get that reference, Adam. Dave, I'm going to stop you there. I don't get that reference yet, but I am now halfway through The Godfather Part 2. I thought it was good. I mean, it is quite derivative of The Sopranos and, and The White Lotus and stuff, right? Jimmy Kimmel also introduced that uh, if you overrun your time for your speech, you're going to get danced off stage. And I wondered whether that was maybe something we should introduce into TV DNA. <laughs> Hello, TV DNA listeners. Just explaining that this episode was recorded in two parts. So the first half is me talking to Neil on Monday evening. And the second half is me and Damien catching up on Tuesday afternoon. Due to scheduling issues, we weren't all able to record together, but felt it was important that we all were able to give our Oscar reactions. We also talk about loads of other stuff. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to TV DNA and our newly renamed Watchlist episodes. Uh, this is where we're going to be talking spoiler-free about what we're watching and all sorts of other stuff that's coming up. My name's Adam Hemming and I am joined by my good friend Neil Shepard. Did you manage to watch much of the Oscars, Neil? I couldn't stay up late at night, but I have watched the various speeches and some fantastic speeches, as well as um, there's lots of beautiful things in Jimmy Kimmel's opening speech for the Oscars as well. So as soon as I got home after work today, I started watching all the various speeches and it just filled me with joy. I'm very, very happy about the various winners. I fell asleep fairly early, but I had set an alarm. So I missed the first 20, 30 minutes of the Oscars, but then managed to stay up to watch the rest of it. And it was all very exciting seeing it all, all happen. I was fortunate to have the day off today. What did you think of the opening speech by Jimmy Kimmel? I didn't hear it. I haven't watched it. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, you said 20 minutes in. I thought it was great. I love the fact that he pointed out that this year, amongst the acting category, 16 first-time nominees. Some of them surprisingly first-time nominees, but that really put things into context for me. And it also set up the, the Oscars this year. I think are quite progressive, or at least very generous, in the sense that they're not just giving awards to, there may be a few exceptions, but they're not just giving awards to people who haven't had awards in the past and maybe deserve an award at some point if it's not the best film they've done. I thought it was a very open collection of nominees and certainly winners. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was less of a closed shop than perhaps it has been maybe five, ten years ago. Some really, really brilliant films as well in this year's list. Maybe one film that didn't get any Oscar nominations is the film that both Brendan Fraser and Kiha Guan were in back in the 80s called Encino Man. Never got any Oscar nominations at the time. And then this year, both Brendan and Key won awards. Jimmy also talked about Hollywood running out of ideas. Like this year, Spielberg was forced to make a movie about Spielberg. John Williams was nominated and he's also the oldest nominee in Oscar history, far as his age. Only Walt Disney has been nominated more times than John Williams, and that's 53 times. Wow. And Jimmy Kimmel also introduced a new thing for the Oscars, that if you overrun your time for your speech, you're going to get danced off stage. And I wondered whether that was maybe something we should introduce into TV DNA. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. There were definitely a couple of speeches where there was more than one winner up on stage. One of them was doing the first bit of speaking and paused and hesitated and all sorts. And then the other one was danced off the stage. I didn't get to speak. I did find all of that quite funny. Should we go through the winners then? And we had our main eight categories that we predicted. All right then. So who are we going to talk about? Let's start with the supporting actor and supporting actress. Jamie Lee Curtis won for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I think you and Damien predicted Hong Chao and I'd plumped for Angela Bassett on this one. But yeah, I think Jamie Lee Curtis was superb in Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's definitely deserved win. They deserved. I think this is possibly one of the occasions where a artist that has been either up for nominations or should have been up for nominations is recognised by the Academy for the work they've done over their whole career as Jamie Lee said this was an award for all the genre movies that she has done over her career and I've mentioned before that I think that this year the Oscars have started to recognise films that have got lots and lots of tickets sold at the cinema and whether you consider them to be of a worth of any kind many many people pay to see them and want to see them and surely that has something to be celebrated yeah and those films had qualities whether you felt they were as good a film as some of the other ones i think we're talking about top gun maverick which won the sound design oscar and avatar which won the visual effects oscar so they had things within them that were considered to be the best of that year. And we talk about Banshees of Inner Sharing was one of our favourite films, one we might consider to be the best, and actually didn't win anything on the night. Definitely those films, I think, justified their inclusion in the in the best picture list. We shouldn't think about what what's worthy, but also about what is popular, because that is the film industry. It's the same with the theatre industry, the same with the music industry, the art industry. It's all about what people actually support you know you even go back to Les Mis when the RSC did it the critics panned it and yet the public loved it and it's been on our stages and has become an absolute classic I do think that the academy is doing a good thing in listening to what people are basically putting their buck to to watch and it's all subjective right we all have you know there will be people out there who hate the Banshees of Inishera and much as we love it so Best Supporting Actor went to Ki Hui Kwan, correctly predicted by me. This was actually the only category that you and Damien differed on in the predictions. You were matched up with all of the others. Um, so you had Brendan Gleeson down for this. No, sorry, you had Barry Keown down for this. Damien had Brendan Gleeson down for this one. But yeah, it was the start, really, I think, in the evening where things were pointing towards everything, everywhere, all at once, having a very yes. good time. I'm extremely happy for Ki Kwan. He was a, a major part of my childhood with the Goonies and Indiana Jones. I thought it was amazing. And he talked about how he arrived on a refugee boat, which is extremely topical right now. He talked about keep your dreams alive because it's absolutely possible for anyone to realise their dreams. And he is an absolute example of that. I also watched his fellow Goonies reactions. 
Corey Feldman's reaction was just amazing and very supportive. Jeff Cohen, who's also his lawyer, who played Chunk, his reaction was fantastic. He was at the Oscars with him. Sean Aston and Martha Pilton said, life is full of good stories. And then finally, Kia Guan said, Goonies never say die. <laughs> um, I thought it was magical. I honestly do. I was so happy for him. I was so happy to have lost um, my bet on that because I wasn't sure they'd give it to him. And I'm I'm so over the moon that they did, that they recognised what he was doing. And I really hope that it leads to him being in more films. Speaking of Martha Plimpton, she is bizarrely in a show that's coming out this week. A Town Called Malice is out on Thursday this week on Sky and Now TV. And she is playing the matriarch of a family from Bermondsey, a family of petty thieves who decamped to Spain to profit from an unexpected windfall. I look forward to it. I'll probably watch it just for her, to be honest. I heard an interview with her on another podcast about her getting the accent right and the work that she put into it. <laughs> so I'm really curious to watch it. Also stars Tahira Sharif, who was in The Tower a couple of years ago, and Jason Fleming and Doug Ray Scott. The other thing I want to say about Kwan's win is, although Harrison Ford didn't give over his specific win, he did give over the best picture win. And there was just this massive hug from Harrison Ford to his previous co-star, Short Round. And I realised that Harrison Ford has only ever been a nominee and he's never won an Oscar. And that shocked me. If the Oscar committee are going to give an Oscar for someone who's done their best work but should have got an Oscar in the past, I'm absolutely rooting for Mr Ford. He may well be up for an Emmy this year, I reckon, after his performances in, in Shrinking. And in 1823, I've been watching a lot of Harrison Ford recently, and he's he is still brilliant at his advanced age. In the ceremony, there were then a lot of other awards, which we'll talk about later. But the next one that we were predicting for was Best Original Screenplay. And we all thought this was going to go to Banshees of Inner Sharon. But in the end, it went to Everything Everywhere All at Once. <laughs> And again, really, really lovely speeches from the two Daniels, I thought. Yeah, um, I, I, I do think Banshees deserved recognition, which I guess they got for their nomination. But Everything Everywhere was a kind of groundbreaking film on so many different levels. And the fact it's been recognised by the Oscar committee and, and I guess the industry, I think is extremely exciting. The script, the direction, the cinematography, it was so unbelievably brave that I don't have an issue with it winning Best Original Screenplay. I, I thought it was amazing. Our concern when we were making our predictions about these was that it was almost too progressive a film to, to win the number of awards that it did. And we'll, we'll sort of talk about that a bit more at the end. But the next one was Best Adapted Screenplay. And we all predicted women talking. And we were all right. And I was yeah. so, so pleased that she won this one. It was really, really brilliant. No, it was fantastic. Because um, it absolutely deserved it. I, I love the depth of analysis and debate that, that happened within the film. I, yeah, I, I think they did a really good job in adapting it to the full screen. And it was a shame that actually more of the cast members weren't acknowledged. Yeah, and again, Sarah Polly, who I think ought to have been up for Best Director as well. Really lovely speech, powerful stuff. The next one, the next one that came up was Best Director, 
And again, we all got this one right because we all predicted the two Daniels would win for everything, everywhere, all at once. I thought his speech, uh, Daniel Kwan's speech, uh, it did go on a little bit this time round, but it started in a really beautiful way talking about collaboration and how important it was that he was accepting the award, but really it was about the collaborative quality of the cast and the crew and everybody involved in making that film. Yeah, and what I also loved about it is that pretty much all of the wins for Everything Everywhere All at Once, including Jamie Lee Curtis, they talk about this is a win for us. Not one of them said it was, you know, hey, I won, fantastic. It was, it was very much a team effort and you got a real feeling about how as a creative team including the artists and the performers involved it it, it would be my ideal to work on a project like that because it just sounds like such an amazing work team to to be with yeah it was evident from their behavior in the audience as well I thought just the way that they supported each other so then we got to the the, the sort of big three not that the best director's not a big one but we had best actor next and this one was correctly predicted by you and Damien uh, I'd gone for Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin, but Brendan Fraser picked up for The Whale which also won best makeup and hair so he won for the person inside <laughs> they won for <laughs> what they created on the outside of him well whale-sized hearts to quote Mr Fraser I mean I would have loved Colin Farrell to win I'm I'm a huge fan of his and particularly of his performance not just in Banshees but also um, in In Bruges I think he absolutely deserves it and I think it's fantastic that the Oscar committee took his performance seriously because it was a very brave performance for him to do having been out of the the camera for so many years and I loved his line when he said only whales can swim at the depth of Hong Chao again another situation where people are talking as a team you know he's giving his co-star a big up even though she didn't win Best Supporting Actress but it felt like it was a real team thing and certainly both for him and Kihai Guan you know they're big comebacks they had a large period out at sea as it were and now they were being celebrated. I'm taking you back to TV very briefly I remember Brendan Fraser being in season three of The Affair did you ever watch The Affair? No. It was the West, and he was stunning in that, really, really, really brilliant in that show. So if you are wanting some more Brendan Fraser and you haven't yet watched The Affair, I can highly recommend it if you can find it to watch anywhere. Well, you can certainly get lots of Brendan Fraser in the whale. (laughs) So we were level pegging then at that point. I think we had three correct predictions each. So the final two categories were crucial. The best actress category was clearly a two-horse race between Kate Blanchett, who you and Damo predicted, and Michelle Yeoh, who I predicted. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh won it. I'm unbelievably happy about that. I, I don't care about the points here. I also found out from a colleague of mine who worked in Hong Kong for many years that Michelle Yeoh is a national treasure in both Malaysia and in Hong Kong. And she's like the Judy Dench of that part of Asia. It's also the first time that an Asian performer has won an Oscar in that category. She said, never let anyone say you're past your prime. And 
Adam, you and me, we're not past our prime. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, but, you know, we, we might be two middle-aged men doing a podcast, but we're definitely <laughs> not past our prime. <laughs> yeah, really, really brilliant stuff. I was so thrilled that Michelle Yeoh won this. Yeah. But the final one then was the best picture. Now, All Quiet on the Western Front picked up awards for cinematography, best international film, production design and score. So it was a very good night for All Quiet on the Western Front. And we've already mentioned Avatar and Top Gun picking up awards, but the winner of Best Picture was was no surprise by that point, given that they'd won Best Screenplay, Best Director and three of the four acting awards. And they also picked up Best Editing, but Everything Everywhere All at Once won Best Film. I mean, yeah, that that's where the night was going. I wasn't surprised when I woke up this morning and heard it on the radio. It absolutely deserves it. I wasn't sure if the Academy would have looked at it and gone, this is just a sci-fi multiverse film. I'd seen when I watched it that there was so many different levels to that and there was so much different ways of just exploring how she was going through her mother-daughter relationship, her wife-husband relationship, and I wasn't sure if that potentially might be too nuanced, and I'm really glad it wasn't, and uh, that was recognised. I loved one of Daniel's saying that his wife was everything to him, and laundry and taxes with her for the rest of his life was all he wanted. I thought that was beautiful. And he also said the world is changing and I fear we're not keeping up. That really resonated with me because I do think the world is changing and we do need to try and keep up as artists. So, no, I I, I thought it was a very deserved win. A few other notable awards that we should mention. Uh, Ruthie Carter won Best Costume for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And she's the first black woman to win two Oscars. And again, a brilliant speech. Thoroughly well-deserved. There were British wins in cinematography and animated short. And then Guillermo del Toro won for Pinocchio, won Best Animation. It was a really wonderful speech that was sung. The winner for the best song, basically. And the song was called Natu Natu by Carla Bayrava and Rahul Sipilgunj. And he sang his acceptance speech to the tune of a Carpenter's song. It was just brilliant. Really, really brilliant moment in the ceremony. Loved it. I thought generally this year's Oscars were were great. I think in hindsight, a lot of the wins were predictable, but I love the fact that I didn't predict them and how open-minded they were and I guess how much more faith I've got with the Oscars. And I loved watching all of the nominated films. The reason why I do, we do it every year is you get to see some amazing films that potentially you wouldn't otherwise. And I honestly cannot recommend enough when the Oscar nominations come out. Any film that's being recommended as good, you're not going to waste your time. You might occasionally get a La La Land or Tar, but... It is absolutely worth ploughing through them because you'll watch films that you wouldn't otherwise. No, it's definitely true. And this is the third year that, I know you've done it for a lot longer, but it's the third year that Damien and I have joined you on this challenge. I think in the first two years, I hadn't watched any of the nominated films before the nominations came out. But this year, I have started watching more films throughout the year. (laughs) I do spend most of my time watching TV, but... I had watched already Banshees and Everything Everywhere all at once. So I really enjoyed getting to see more films. And it's definitely something I'm going to be doing more of. 
and also both films and TV are merging so much more. Basically, TV box sets are films the the stories told over 10 hours as opposed to two and the budgets that are going into tv box sets are almost as large as films so they're not that different there's a real cinematic quality now isn't there to a lot of tv the lines are really really blurred I mean, you've got things like luther which was out last week you know the movie that's that was out in the cinemas and then released on netflix and it's based on a tv show it's, it's interesting times i think and whether it be tv or film i think that cinematic storytelling is something that's really exciting and and hopefully we'll see much more new stuff coming out i think inspired by everything everywhere all at once hopefully there'll be more people taking bigger risks on the storytelling they do do through through TV and film. Look at Game of Thrones, look at The Power of the Ring, look, look at the Star Wars, you know, Mandalorian. There's a lot of money going into TV series where they can tell a story over many more episodes and amount of time, but they've also got the budget to do it really well. Speaking of The Mandalorian, have you watched the latest episode? I know we're going to be recording later this week when we've watched episode three. Yeah, I've watched episode two. I really liked it. Yeah, I'm excited for episode three on Wednesday, definitely. Neil and I did a, one episode on on the first episode of Mandalorian, and we're going to be doing them in pairs after that. So our next episode for the Mandalorian will be coming out later this week. And for those of you who are following the shows that we're concentrating on, you've got The Last of Us, which we'll be recording in a couple of days. I'm really excited about because I loved the finale. And also you're doing Unforgotten, aren't you? Yeah, we just released our final Unforgotten episode. So there were six episodes to that show. We did them in pairs again. So we, Grace and I did three episodes for Unforgotten and that's now finished and out. And yeah, our Last of Us episode will be coming out a little bit later than usual due to Mr Cooper's availability this evening. Neil, before I let you go, there's a couple of shows coming soon that I wanted to talk to you about. The first of which I think is right up your street. It is on Adam's Apple TV and it's called Extrapolations. It sounds fantastic. You know that I'm hugely concerned about climate change, but it's also got an amazing cast like Mel Streep, Sienna Miller, Kit Harrington, Ed Norton, Diana Lane, Matthew Reese, David Schwimmer, Boz Whitaker. Toby Maguire. I mean, what an amazing cast. Yeah, I think it's something that clearly a lot of actors and performers are very passionate about as well. So when this yeah. project came up with Apple TV, I think they probably jumped to the chance. It's set in the near future. So I think it starts in 2037 and then goes on from there. But it's an anthology show. So there are going to be eight different episodes, each telling a different story, but sort of loosely connected. I think there are going to be sort of characters running through it all, themes running through the eight episodes. But the trailer looks gorgeous, as everything does from Apple TV. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they've created, because it's such a huge, huge story and huge thing to cover. It's already clear for anyone who hasn't fallen asleep as to where they can find it. But the date you can find it, it the premiere is on March 17th. Yeah, mostly Apple TV stuff comes out on a Friday, new episodes. But there is one show coming out this week that comes out on Wednesday. Did you watch Ted Lasso, Neil? Tell me about Ted Lasso. I've, I've never heard of it or this thing called football that it seems to be connected with. 
Oh, well, football and politics in the last week, <laughs> very much interchangeable. I'm sure everyone listening has heard of Ted Lasso, but if you haven't, it's initially Half Hour Comedy Season 2 was more of a comedy drama or a drama comedy. The third and final season starts on Wednesday, 15th of March, and Richmond FC have been promoted back to the Premier League. And we're going to find out what's going on with Nasty Nate. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be joyous to be back in that company. And I know you have an opinion about Gary Lineker and his social media and the effects on Match of the Day. Please share. Neil, I've never been asked to present Match of the Day. But if they had asked me on Saturday, just like Micah Richards and Jermaine Genus, I would have turned them down. But yeah. You're a man of principle. Absolutely. I think it is blatantly ridiculous that the BBC have tried to sort of step in and stop him from reacting on on social media to things that are going on in the world and that politics that he disagrees with. He's not a news presenter. He's not an employee of the BBC. He's a freelancer. Yes, he's very well paid, but he's paid to talk about football. And I feel like people should be free to voice their own opinions unless they are, you know, contractually told they can't. Well, I on guess social- that, that's, the, that's the question, is whether there were contractual restrictions there i mean as far as i'm aware he's the highest paid employee of the bbc or certainly uh, artists i completely agree with you i I, he he has a voice and as far as i'm concerned he's using it for for good reason hopefully the story isn't all about match of the day being a 20 minute thing without any commentary and it is about their immigration policies and people are sort of learning about that and discovering kind of what is going on with all of that stuff that's kind of the reason why he he spoke up in the first place yeah and also right at the beginning of this recording we talked about kiki guan who was on a refugee boat and has now won an oscar there's there's nothing that people can't achieve regardless of their political status or their living status and it just shows also there are so many things in the UK at the moment where we absolutely need input whether it be medical with doctors and nurses whether it be fruit pickers whether it be any sort of industry that allows us to survive you know we've been dealing with the cost of living crisis and about the cost of food rising and not being able to get hold of certain foods to me it just seems absolutely ridiculous that anyone with any sense of morality can begrudge him and that that's a very small word really to say what he thinks because we know a whole load of people agree with him. Yeah, and it's not a new thing. You know, Gary Lineker has been vocal and on his yeah. on his social media for a long, long time now. Perhaps because of the language that he used and the comparisons that he made, it's caused a bigger storm this time round. But yeah, I don't disagree with anything that he said. Yeah, well, sometimes if people hit the nail on the head, the head's a bit sore. <laughs> Neil, I've got some Star Wars adjacent news for you. Daisy Ridley, Star Wars actress, has landed a new TV role in a show called The Better Liar, which is going to be coming out on Prime Video. Um, it's based on the book by Tannen Jones, and the story follows a woman who hires a lookalike to try and conceal her sister's death and claim her inheritance. That sounds like an interesting scenario. Very exciting to hear Daisy Ridley 
going to be in a TV show. Not sure when that's due to come out. I think it's still sort of very much in development, but we'll be keeping an eye on that one. And then I've got a little bit of Marvel news in that John Bernthal is going to return as the Punisher in next year's Daredevil Born Again. Of course he is. I'm pleased about that. I think he's brilliant in that role. Uh, I didn't enjoy American Gigolo. Stopped watching that. I'm looking forward to some some good quality Bernthal back in my life. Well, good quality Bernthal in anyone's life is going to make it better. Brand, I think we'll leave there. Unless there's anything else you've been watching that you want to chat about? No, not really. Um, Last of Us Mandalorian has taken up my time. Really happy with the Oscars results. And I cannot wait until we talk about both Last of Us and The Mandalorian. Well, we'll be doing that later this week. And uh, Damien's promised us a voice note. I might try and pop onto a, a Zoom with him just to cover what they've been watching. So if we do that, we'll add that on to this episode. This has been brilliant, Neil. Thank you very much. And um, I'll see you on Wednesday. Absolutely. Good night. So now we have the second part of this watch list episode. And I've now been joined by my other good friend, Mr. Damien Cooper. Hello. So Damien's had a chance to listen to what Neil and I recorded yesterday. So as well as giving his reaction to the Oscars, he's going to be able to give his reaction to our reaction. <laughs> and we'll chat about some other stuff that we've been watching as well. So how are you doing, Damien? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, apologies for not being there for the record. I was out, out. It was recently my birthday. So one of the things my partner and I did is we went to see a stand-up comedian who was fantastic, Dragosh. I will find his handles and put those in the notes. I cannot recommend Dragosh enough. Excellent stuff. I can't remember the last time I was out, out. <laughs> so the Oscars then, what, what was your thoughts on the winners? Did you catch much of the ceremony? So I tried to go to bed at midnight, but Raluca kept dragging me back in, much like in uh, The Godfather Part 2. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I I'm sure you get that reference, Adam. Dave, I'm going to stop you there. I don't get that reference yet, but I am now halfway through The Godfather Part 2. Oh, my goodness me. So you've seen The Godfather Part 1? Yes, that's been right, so We're going to stop all other chat, because really, this is what the listeners want to know. What did you think of The Godfather? Did you think it was overhyped, or did you think it was justly hyped? I thought it was good. I think it's, I mean, it is quite derivative of things like The Sopranos and, and The White Lotus and stuff, right? And there's this young chap who's trying to do his best Al Pacino impression. <laughs> No, I genuinely, I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. I think it was justly hyped. Yeah, that first film, you know, and I can imagine, certainly for the time, how groundbreaking a film it was, right? I'd assume so. As I said to you off air, and I've said on previous episodes, there's a series on Paramount called The Offer, which is a kind of, I believe, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's semi-fictionalised, but it's kind of how The Godfather, part one at least, was made. Uh, and it's fascinating to see how many times it nearly didn't get made, all the kind of drama offset and behind the camera. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I know we've been griefing you for a while about it now. Well, I've watched the first episode of The Offer as well, so I've put that on my list. And yeah, again, really enjoyed that first episode. I think it is going to be fascinating to have seen the film uh, and then watch that so quickly afterwards. But yeah, enjoying, enjoying part two so far. I can't believe how young and handsome Robert De Niro is. It is mad, and it only gets better, I think. There was a huge thing at the time, right, that it's the only film that the two of them had been in, pre-Heat, of course, and we don't see them together. But they are both leads, aren't they, really, that never see each other, and it's a really fascinating dynamic. 
how part two works. And I think quite rightly, why a lot of people say that it's one of the rare few better sequels to the first one. Now, some people are going to say that maybe about this podcast, that part two is better than part one. I I couldn't possibly push any agendas. Maybe there will be a a poll for our Spotify listeners to to answer. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm really glad I decided watching it. And, and it's all thanks to Paramount Plus, really. I took out the Paramount Plus subscription, largely due to Top Gun Maverick and Your Honour, but now very much enjoying the fact that they put both Godfather films up there. Oh, I'm going to completely derail this chat again. I hope you don't mind, because one of the things I've been watching is a Paramount Plus show, and I think if we're deep in the Paramount, why not? Which is Tulsa King, the Sylvester Stallone series. I got as far as episode five, and I had to throw in the towel. It's got promise, but I think it just it, there's so many things that just make it far too hard for me, at least, to suspend my disbelief. It might be different for others because I am a massive picky bitch. But the the basic premises is Sylvester Sloan plays Dwight Manfredi, a mafioso who is jailed for 23 years, I believe, and it starts with him being released. So it's like a double fish out of water story. So there's the world has moved on 23 years and he hasn't. But the mob also pretty much immediately sends him to Tulsa, I guess the US equivalent of County Lions, that they've sent this place is basically ripe to be taken over by the mob. And so we've got those two things of kind of fish out of water, as I said. And I just think too many things happen as a punchline or a narrative thing that don't make sense. For example, iPhones. I think even if, even if he gets out of jail and doesn't know iPhones exist, Within a couple of days, he will know what an iPhone is. He will probably also know that weed has been legalized in certain states. Not like, you know, and there's all this stuff that kind of goes on into episode two or three, and he doesn't fully know and it doesn't get fully explained to him. Just made it a bit tricky for me to carry on. I wanted to. Lord knows I gave him enough tries. I got to episode five, for God's sakes. Yeah, it's been on my list, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So it's really good to hear your thoughts on that show while we're on the paramount plus thing i did really enjoy 1923 i can't remember if i spoke about it on the podcast previously but i watched that one all the way to the end and you know you've got harrison ford helen mirren jerome flynn timothy dalton supported by some other really really brilliant actors as well but that's definitely a show i can recommend and what i will say to to add to that is i got suggested a video on youtube yesterday which is the entirety of the first episode of 1923 So that is free to watch on YouTube. I will try and find that and put that link in the notes for those who want to give it a try. Yeah, I'd say it does take, that first episode is laying a lot of the groundwork and then it picks up sort of much more dramatically from episode two onwards. It's definitely set up for a second season. Like it finishes in a way where you think, hang on a minute, there's so many storylines left open. But yeah, they're, they're clearly going back in for a second season. But yeah, I really, really loved it. But the Oscars. <laughs> the Oscars. Let's get back to the Oscars. Where were we? <laughs> yeah. So as I said, I, I kept on trying to go to sleep and then Rick would burst into the bedroom and go, they're quickly, they're doing Best Supporting Actor. They're doing Best Supporting Actress. So I think Best Supporting Actor was first. And the way they reacted to Keith being not, just even saying his name in the auditorium made me think, all oh, right, okay. I, I think I, I can see where the night is going. And then, as you said, we then had, well, I think it was almost immediately next, wasn't it? Best Supporting Actress and then Jamie Lee Curtis won. 
I mean, we said it in, in the predictions, there's no doubt about it, it's an amazing film. My worry was that the Academy wouldn't be able to appreciate the nuance of it and it being a little bit wacky, but I seem to have been entirely incorrect in that summation, which is good. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm glad of that. I think it was great to see, I know Neil's already talked about Key's speech, but I think to, to talk about Jamie's, I mean, some people would unfairly call Jamie a Nepo baby, of course, <laughs> given her parents. But I thought it was good. You know, there's this whole thing that's been going around, loads of memes about how much of a hype queen she's been for her cast, particularly for Michelle. Every time Michelle's won an award, you'd think that Jamie had won it the way she reacted. And I know you both touched on this, but the idea of she did a lot of horror stuff. It's not to my taste, of course, but they are well-made films. And it's good to see that genre is getting more respect, I think. And a lot of that's to do with the heavy lifting of TV shows, I think. Really high quality horror TV shows have helped elevate that genre, I feel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mike Flanagan's stuff on, on Netflix, I think, has been utterly superb in that regards. I, I remember watching Everything Everywhere all at once. I didn't recognise Jamie Lee Curtis. It was only when the credits came up at the end that I was like, oh, that's who it was. And I think that's, you know, in part a testament to her performance in that film as well, I think, is that it was such a bizarre role. I mean, they all so fully committed to what they were doing and the film wouldn't have worked if they hadn't. They all took a massive, massive risk, I think, and it paid off beautifully. I think so, because Jamie predominantly plays kind of well put together, generally quite smart, savvy, smart in both senses of the word, usually very attractive characters. And of course, that's almost the complete opposite to what she plays in that film, right? She plays this crazy, frumpy, I mean, fair enough, all powerful. It is such a marked difference to what, as you said, what we've seen her in previously. That still doesn't mean that I'm not disappointed with some of the other people that could have won but didn't because of that film. I think fair enough to everyone in the cast. I'm not upset about that. I'm just upset that people that I would have liked to have won didn't win. Yeah, whilst Jamie was brilliant, I'm not sure it was the best one. But that's just, as we said, with all these things, it's all subjective. She was brilliant. She wasn't quite the best for me, but I don't vote. I'm not part of the Academy. So what are you going to do? I mean, as you said in the prediction episode, it's such a strong category. And I was, when I was watching the ceremony live, I was keeping a, a little eye on Twitter and there was definitely a lot of Angela Bassett fans kind of outraged that she hadn't won Best Supporting Actress. But I mean, you know, and, and I know you and Neil both predicted Hong Chao and, and she got a lovely mention from Brendan Fraser when he won his award. But yeah, such a strong lineup. Now, I don't want to peddle scurrilous rumours because I haven't seen it myself, but there is talk that Angela Bassett did not applaud Jamie Lee when she won. Apologies. If it turns out this is not the case, I will give a full and frank retraction of this comment in the next episode. But I believe, from what Raluca told me, she did not clap. Everyone else clapped and she was not happy at all. But she's a legend as well. There's, I mean, there's no denying it. I mean, what a powerhouse of a performer. Yeah, absolutely. Grant, any, any other awards you want to pick apart? I really do think and the fact that Banshees of Inner Sharon has come away with nothing is a crime, a travesty, because that is such a brilliant film. And for no acting awards, not screenplay, not film, I find it a bit harsh. 
but yeah, obviously the great thing is that the leading male. I, I was absolutely over the moon for Brendan to win for the whale. I think it was a well-deserved win. And I think, as I said, the last one, up until I saw the whale, I thought, this is Colin Farrell's, he's going to walk this. And then I saw the whale and thought, nah, sorry, mate, you've lost it. Yeah, I was very much hoping like Colin Farrell would win the Banshees and felt like it was their best chance at an award. You know, we've raved about Banshees finishing a lot. Maybe it was just sort of a, of a really, really good standard in all categories, but not quite amazing enough in each individual one. But yeah, I did think that was their most likely chance of, of an award. And well, actually also for screenplay, which, you know, again, I think it was probably pretty close to getting that. But yeah, Brendan Fraser and a lovely heartfelt speech from him. Yeah, he's a legend. I think he's another one that suffered a little bit in the same way that Colin Farrell did, I'd say at least for a lot of his early career, of being good looking, a great actor, naturally charismatic and someone you want to watch, but then finding themselves going down a route of not necessarily artistically great films, but good blockbusters and popcorn films. And then just the road ran out from beneath him and then there was nowhere for him to go. And fortunately, he's been able to have this kind of second act, as it were, much like Colin described as was at the BAFTAs. He talked about having a, this second act of his career. I know you mentioned he was in The Affair. He's hoping that Oscar winner, as he should now be called, Oscar winner, Brendan Fraser, will be inundated with work now. Yeah, definitely. No, he's he's really, really good. And then the only other thing, but, you know, you talk about Gary Lineker and, and the football stuff. I think the other important thing about, you know, this discussion about Gary Lineker and, and his opposition, quite rightly, to this horrendous bill about small boats and people leaving. I know Neil mentioned about our best supporting actor winner was a refugee on a boat. I think it's really difficult in this country to not think about the ramifications of our behaviour abroad. I mean, you just have to look at other nominated and winning actors. You know, Michelle Yeoh, Hong Kong, that doesn't exist without us meddling there. You've got Banshees of Inner Sharon. You've got Mark Madonna, British-Irish writer. Whilst we are an island, we do not live in a vacuum. And I think we're very quick to forget that, some people in this country. So I think what's happened is an important lesson that I hope we all learn from. Yeah, definitely. Um, I spoke about this at length with Neil, but um, I did wonder after I finished talking to him whether there might be a Ted Lasso special that deals with this in a way somehow in reaction to Gary Lineker Gate. I know you're a big Ted Lasso fan. How excited are you for, well, it's tomorrow now at time of recording. Football is life. <laughs> Football is life. I've held off on buying a Richmond AFC football shirt. I have been sorely tempted a couple of times to buy one, but I can't quite bring myself to it. It would have to have Obisanya on the back, not Tart. <laughs> yes, indeed. So the, there's some news came out, kind of rumours really more than news, but this is definitely going to be the last season of Ted Lasso. But there has been stories come out that there might be Lasso-verse spin-offs stories told in the future they're not necessarily closing the book on Richmond AFC in that world great I mean just I guess it depends on on who it is I would love to see a show fronted by Hannah Waddingham and the kind of the boardroom aspect of it that would be quite fascinating I'm not sure how else you do it really I mean it's it's now the the done thing right this show is a massive commercial and critical success 
what will we do? Let's have three or four spin-offs, whether it's The Walking Dead or Power. These things never end. If Jason Sudeikis and Brett Goldstein, you know, if they're still involved in the writing, then it would, and, and it still has that same kind of energy, sugary sweet without being saccharine, enjoyable TV, then I'm all for it. Yeah, like any of these things, if it's if it's done well, then it will be it will be great. Let's not forget, Better Call Saul was a, a spin-off of Breaking Bad. I think there have probably been more dodgy spin-offs than there have been successful ones. So that's why we're perhaps a bit tentative about it. Have you been watching anything else? I've watched more of the latest series of South Park. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of had its time now. I know it is an absolute cash cow, but much like Family Guy and to an extent The Simpsons, I think it's time we kind of all moved on and space was given for those giant trees to be felled so that new things from the undergrowth can see sunlight, I feel is is kind of where we're at with that. I started watching a documentary on Netflix about the downed Malaysian flight. I'm not sure how many parts it is. Raluca's been watching I've Been in the Room and I've just gradually become more and more interested in it. Really good. And about to watch later today the winner of the best documentary at the Oscars, which is Navalny, a film that explores the plot to kill Russian anti-corruption campaigner and former presidential candidate Alexei Navalny. I try and watch the winner of the best documentary, or at least in the case of a couple of years ago, the film that should have won it, which was Collective, a Romanian documentary that lost to my friend, the octopus teacher or whatever it was called. (laughs) Where can you watch that, Navalny? It's available to buy on most of the streaming services in which you can buy things. So... That is Apple and Amazon and YouTube and I think Google as well. Maybe not YouTube, sorry. I mean, YouTube's owned by Google, isn't it? But I think you can also buy it through Google Store. Uh, Yeah, I definitely want to try and get Pinocchio under my belt, as it were. Got wood? (laughs) Sorry. Well, Damo, I finished watching Fleischman is in Trouble and just wanted to really echo what Chloe said about this show in the previous episode that we did and that it isn't really about... Toby Fleischman only. There are other characters with the surname Fleischman. I really, really enjoyed it. thought it was great. I think episode seven is an incredible episode of TV. It's really difficult to talk about without giving away spoilers, but I think you are rewarded for sticking with that show. So if you've started Fleischman is in Trouble and you're feeling a little bit jaded by maybe some of the middle episodes, I would say stick with it and get through to the end. There's a Christian Slater cameo in one episode, and he was also in an episode of Willow. He seems to be doing a line of cameos at the moment. So yeah, I'm just fascinated to see where Christian Slater will pop up next. <laughs> but there is there is a copyright issue because at the end, and this is a tiny spoiler, but really it's for the end credits of the final episode of Fleischman is in Trouble, um, because there is a certain dance routine to a certain song that is incredibly similar to something that may well have been posted on social media in the past that I have performed myself. I was going to say that as a joke. No, same song, similar routine. Sorry, okay, we need to lawyer up. Yeah, I think we do, definitely. My goodness me. Well, I never... You've been watching another show as well, haven't you, Adam? Uh, The Consultant. Yes. Yes, I did. I got the first, after your recommendation, I thought I'd watch the first episode of The Consultant, having renewed my Prime Video subscription for Daisy Jones and the Six, and really enjoyed it. But it is utterly nuts. 
<laughs> but I'm fascinated to see where, where it goes. And spotted that it was written by Tony Bazkalap, who is the writer on The Servant, um, which I'm a big fan, as regular listeners will know, a big fan of The Servant. I got that wrong last week. I thought it was the finale coming up, but it wasn't. There were two episodes more, so I've got one more still to come of The Servant. Uh, but yeah, it definitely has a sort of similar tone in a way. It's a totally different show, The Consultant to The Servant, but it, there's, there's resonances there. But yeah, you finished that show now, haven't you? Yeah, what I would say is it's not a perfect show. There are one or two wobbles that I was not happy about as narrative choices, just because I thought they were a little clumsy and a little bit, oh, let's let's hold off to make this last for another episode or so. But other than those very small nitpicking issues, I think it's a really good series and possibly could be talked about with one of the best series of the year. I think it's a genuine contender for that conversation. It's quite early on in the year, so it may be forgotten. And we've got Succession and all these other absolutely huge shows. But I feel like it would hold its own in that conversation. I mentioned Daisy Jones and the Six earlier, and I'm I'm really enjoying that. I think I'd only watched one episode when we last recorded. I've now watched another three. I thought they were dropping one episode a week, but I've just discovered they're doing three a week. So I've got two more of those to devour. But yeah, really enjoying it. The characters in the show, I think, are fascinating. You know, one of them's dealing with addiction and coming out of rehab and, and returning to the band. It's all really centred around this relationship between the two lead singers. But they are charismatic and dynamic enough to make that a really enjoyable sort of friction between the two of them. The sort of sexual tension, I think, is is nicely bubbling along. It's a really well-made show. If you like music and the 70s, then I think you'll quite enjoy that. It is definitely on my list. I've seen it come up a couple of times. We're at the point where we're deciding if we want to renew it because it is a significant amount, particularly if you don't buy many things from Amazon. It is a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to juggle my streamers, and the one that I'm not really watching anything on at the moment is Netflix. So I am tempted to give my my Netflix a little bit of a rest. I will meet resistance from the rest of the family, but (laughs) I haven't watched the Netflix show for a while, and I'm, I'm almost tempted to start The Haunting of Blind Manor just so I'm using it for something. But there's a lot of other stuff on the list at the moment. And there's a lot this week. I've already spoken about Ted Lasso and spoke with Neil about a town called Malice and Extrapolations. There's also Redemption coming out on ITV this Friday, 17th of March, which is about D.I. Colette Cunningham, who learns that her estranged daughter has taken her own life. Her daughter disappeared without a trace when she was 17 and had been living in Dublin for the last 20 years under a different name. And it turns out she's got two teenagers who D.I. Colette Cunningham now has to uh, look after. It stars Paula Malcolmson and, yeah, it looks like a good Irish crime drama. Grand. Talking about Netflix, Adam, did you ever watch The Last Kingdom? It was originally on iPlayer and then was on Netflix. It's the Bernard Cromwell, he of sharp fame, starring King of the North, Sean Bean, the other big series that he wrote. Uh, I haven't, but I have had it recommended to me in the past, I think, by you and others. Um, So it's been on my list for a long while. I just haven't got round to it yet. Fair enough. Well, it, it details the trials of Uhtred, who is a son of Uhtred, the lord of 
Bebenberg. And I do heavily, heavily recommend it. I believe the TV show has now finished, but there is a one-off film that is being released on the 14th of April on Netflix. I don't believe it's coming to iPlayer. Actually, I don't think the last couple of series went to iPlayer. Netflix bought it out. Uh, called Seven Kings Must Die, which I think will be the very end of at least this version of this world. I'm I'm very excited about that. That popped up on my YouTube algorithm, the trailer for that yesterday, and it looks like it's going to be a must-watch. Cool. Maybe I'll see if I can bump The Last Kingdom up my list a little bit. But speaking of trailers, there was a new trailer for Adam's Apple TV's Silo, which is based on a series of books. I think the first book's called Wool, but this looks pretty stunning. Set in a ruined and toxic future, thousands of people live in a giant silo deep underground. And after its sheriff breaks a cardinal rule and residents die mysteriously, engineer Juliet, played by Rebecca Ferguson, starts to uncover shocking secrets and the truth about the silo. It's due to come out on the 5th of May, so not for a little while. But um, yeah, the trailer's just been released. Oh, nice. I'll give that a look. Sounds interesting. I just hope that there's not a Romeo anywhere. She's always the worry if there's a character called Juliet that her love (laughs) interest might become Romeo and it's all just a bit obvious. Yeah, I hope so too. I think that's, that's pretty much it then, isn't it? Anything else you want to cover? Well, just that. The other thing that I've watched is the final episode of The Last of Us, which we will be talking about in detail in our Last of Us, which is dropping slightly later than we'd like because of me, Mia Culpa. Everyone else was poised and ready to give you that Last of Us goodness that you're all fiending for. But it's me that's holding back the supply. I mean, you're allowed to have a birthday. Totally permissible. (laughs) But yeah, really looking forward to chatting about that. Uh, Grace and I finished our Unforgotten series and we had a... We had a lovely email from the director of Unforgotten. Oh, yeah. Tell us more. Well, he praised our review, said he enjoyed it, and it had given him food for thought for season six. And then he just clarified a few things. So I'm going to get back in touch with him. And then um, when next time I have Grace on the podcast, uh, we'll have a little chat about the points that he made in response to our Unforgotten episodes. But really amazing, really grateful that he got in touch with us. But it does prove, Adam, as I believe you said in the WhatsApp group, people do use the email, uh, which is tvdnapod at gmail.com so if you are a fantastically talented director or actor in a much loved tv series feel free to get in contact feel free to get in contact if you're not if you just enjoy the show and if you don't want to send an email you can find us at tvdnapod on instagram and twitter or just put tv space dna in your favourite search bar. Also, if you're not on the social media, but you still want to share your thoughts with us, we are posting Q&As and polls on the Spotify. So if you listen to us on Spotify, we've got a few of those. We're going to try and do one for each episode. So look out for those and we'd love to get your thoughts. Absolutely. We, We broke through another listening barrier the other week. So thanks again for all the support you give us and long may it hopefully continue. Grant. All right, Damo, well, I'll see you tomorrow for The Last of Us recording. Sounds good. Cheerio, bye. Bye.